0: Welcome to the Next Level Youth Podcast. Here you will find sermons and content from Next Level Youth. We meet every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. at the Palace of Praise Church. We hope this content challenges and encourages you in your walk of faith. Let's grow in Christ together. So tonight I'm gonna give you a review of where we're at so far. We're smack dab in the middle of a series called God's Plans. God's Plans started two weeks ago. Who's been here for both times? Um, if you, that's great. If you haven't or if you want to listen to it again, our sermon podcast drops towards the end of the week before Saturday. You can find it, Next Level Youth Podcast. That's just a resource for you if you miss a week or if you just want to go back and listen. Also, always remember, um, just as a sidebar, Feel free, ask me for my sermon notes, I'll send them to you, no problem, just give me your email, or even your phone number, I'll send you a PDF, whatever, I'll send them to you, not a problem, doesn't bother me whatsoever, Um, that's just a sidebar. Anyway, we're going to do a quick review, we're in week three, part three, however you want to put it, and honestly, I don't know how long this is going to go, I know it's going to go through next week at minimum, but it could go beyond that, so we're going to do a quick review, you ready for the review? doesn't matter if you are or not. Here we go. We start off posing the question. I reviewed this last week. I'll review it again. Just so you remember where we're at. You get on track, get on pace with where we're at. So I ask at the very beginning, first thing I ask you in the sermon was, this year and beyond this year, what plans do you have for your life? What's on your agenda? What have you been cooking up? And then I ask the more difficult question. How did you come up with your plans? How did you come up with those plans? Who came up with those plans? Did you come up with them yourself? Did you birth those plans all on your own, or did God birth those plans in you? Those are tough questions. Those are questions I hope you've already asked yourself. And we went on and we said, we have freedom in this life to try and do whatever we would like to do to try and do what we would like to do. But the question is, who is in the middle of what you're up to? That's just another way to look at it. Who's in the middle of it? Are you in the center of it, or is God? And then we made a couple pretty big statements. We said this about everyone in this room, everyone on earth. We believe God has a perfect will for your life. And the second thing we said, a big statement about God, that God... And your plans, specifically, that God wants to be a lot more involved in your plans than you might think. And here's the truth. This is a reminder. Surrendering your own will and submitting to God's will is foundational in our faith. Matthew 16, 24 and 25 says, If anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, And follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the call of Christ, to let go of the steering wheel of your life. Jesus, take the wheel. That's the call of Christ. That's what he's calling you to. And so where do we go? Anybody remember where we've been anchored in the past few weeks? In the Bible. Acts chapter 9, boom, I'll give, you, I'll give you a B plus for that, Eight, no, no, you missed the 9, anyway, so Saul is going on his own way to Damascus, and what happens, God intervenes, we'll read here in a minute, God like explodes on the scene, he interrupts Saul in his plans, he gets Saul's attention, Saul listens to Jesus, he submits to Jesus in these verses, And then Satan comes and tries to interrupt the plan that God placed, the will that God placed on Paul's life. That's how we ended week one. Then last week, quickly, last week we focused on verses 10 through 18, and we talked about Ananias. We focused on him specifically in the story, and we pulled out six big ideas. I'll run through them quickly, very quickly. Number one, God doesn't have to interrupt you if he has your attention, you're listening and submitting to his will and plan for you. Number two, God's plans don't always make sense. Number three, you can question God's plans, but don't fight them. Number four, God's plans for you involve others. Number five, have faith in God's plans. And number six, if you know God, you know his voice, which is actually point number two. If you know God, you know his voice. And I told you last week, We're going to talk about how to know God's voice. This is what I said last week. Is this ringing a bell for anybody? I hope it is. I said it cannot be overstated, the fact and the importance of your need to have an ability to hear God's voice and to know the difference between God's voice, your voice, other people's voice, and the voice of the enemy. And we're specifically for at least the next two weeks, maybe next three weeks, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about how do we hear God's voice? How do we find ourselves in a place where we can hear what God's plans are for, everything okay up there? That was so distracting. I forgive you. It's okay. I was just like, that sounded really funky. Anyway, let's get back. Rewind. VCR. VHS. Some of y'all know what's up. That's too bad. If you struggle with this, if you say, I have never heard God speak to me and tell me his will for my life, if you don't know how to tell the difference between these voices, then these next few weeks are for you. So here we go. Let's get into it. You ready? Sweet. One person. That's right. I'm ready. God's plans part three. And we're going to go right back. Guess where we're going back to? Whoa. Acts 9. Let's read it. 1 through 18. We're going to read it again. I don't apologize for it. Here we go. Are you ready? Okay. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground. Although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they let let him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him, in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in. And lay his hands on him so he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Now, we've looked at a lot of these verses. We've dug into this story. But tonight, we're going to dig even more. And we're going to look at one different major aspect of this story story that we have not covered so far. And that aspect is this. Before God would reveal to Saul what his plans were for his life, God had to change Saul's posture. Before, I'll say it again, before God would reveal to Saul what his plans were for his life, he had to change Saul's posture. What is posture? Maybe you already know this. I'll just tell you. Posture is the position that your body is in, the position you put your body in. When you're sitting, standing, laying, that's your posture. But it can also also be described as this, a person's approach or attitude. As Saul started his journey to Damascus, his posture was much different than it was right before he got there. As he entered the city his posture became much different. When Saul got on that road and was headed his way, and he was on mission, when he started that journey, he started that journey as an arrogant, self-righteous, self-made, self-sufficient man. But when Saul got to Damascus, his posture was different. Because what happened? God knocked Paul, Saul off his high horse. You ever heard that before, knocking someone off their high horse? That's what happened. I I picture this. It doesn't say this, but it was a far journey. I imagine Saul was riding a horse or something of the variety. So I imagine literally when that light shone down, that it knocked Saul to the ground. It said it did in verse 4, that God knocked Saul to the ground. And in this moment, this was very literal but it was also metaphorical. It was very literal, but it was also very spiritual. Let's read it again, verse three and four. He went on his way, he approached Damascus. Suddenly a light of heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, why are you persecuting me? In this moment, there was a literal change of posture Soon to follow a spiritual, a metaphorical change of posture, attitude, approach for Saul. In verse 5, as Saul is laying on the ground, what does Jesus say? Verse 5, Saul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So as Saul is laying on the ground, what happens? Jesus reveals himself. To Saul for the first time. Then in verse 6, what does it say? Jesus says, rise, Saul, enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. So Saul gets up off, his, off the ground. He tries to open his eyes. He can't see anything. So Saul is led to Damascus. His posse leads him. He gets there. Jesus said, wait, and I'll tell you what to do. So what does Saul do? For three days, Saul's blind, Saul fasts. He doesn't eat nor drink anything, and he prays. This goes on for three days before God ever tells Saul what he must do. And in those three days, Saul was much different than he had ever been in his whole life You know, I kind of wish, sometimes you ever read a Bible story and you're like, I wish it gave me more details. You ever done that? I wish we had more details about exactly what transpired in these three days. We know Saul was obedient. We know Saul was desperate. We know Saul was humble in these days because he he, he didn't eat and he prayed. God had already been speaking to him. He tells Ananias that, that God had been dealing with Saul as he prayed. So we know this. We don't know all the details, but we know something powerful was going on in Saul's life. We know his posture was most certainly changing. We know that much of his arrogance had been stripped away and been replaced with humility. And it wasn't until Saul's posture changed that he was positioned to where he was ready to hear God's plans for his life. I'm going to say that again. You want me to say it again? I'm going to say it again. It wasn't until Saul's posture changed that he was positioned to where he was ready to hear God's plans for his life. As we read on, let's talk just a little bit about God's, what God told Ananias to do, all right? What does he say? God says in the verses, he said, Ananias, you need to go lay your hands on Saul and, let, and his sight will be restored. That's what he told him. Ananias says, why? Why do you want me to do it? And then what, is, what does God say in verse 16? Will you put verse 16 up for us? Verse 16. What does God say? I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of of my name. God says, you go, you lay his hands on him why? I'm going to show him. I'm going to show him the plan that I have for him. I'm going to show him just how much suffering is going to do for my name's sake. That's what I'm going to do. And as we read on in the story, I won't read it all again because we've read it so many times and if you're lost, go read it again for yourself. But what happens? Ananias is obedient. He does what God says. And what in that moment, did, did Ananias ever say anything other than what God told him to do? He was obedient. But do we see that Ananias told Saul what God told him about Saul? Are you tracking with me? Did Ananias tell Saul that God had plans for his life? Did he tell him the plan that God revealed to Ananias? Did he use Ananias to speak to Saul and tell him the plan? I don't see that anywhere. I can't gather that anywhere. It seems to me that what took place in the story, go read it for yourself, is that Ananias comes, lays his hands on Saul, vision restored, he's baptized with the Holy Spirit, and Saul has an experience with God like he's never had before. And in the midst of God's presence, right in the middle of God's presence, in the middle of the experience that Saul was having with God, that's when God showed up. And told Saul what he was going to do next. How he would suffer for his name's sake. And it is in this moment, in this middle of the experience that Saul has in these verses. That God gives Saul his assignment for his life. That's where it takes place. It takes place right here. Now how do we know that if it doesn't tell us? How do we know that that's where Saul received his assignment? Let me prove it to you. What does he do after he's baptized? Let's read it. Verse 19 through 30. Let's read it. And taking food, he was strengthened. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Two more verses. He spoke and was disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. How do we know that when Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time, how do we know that he received his assignment in that moment? This is why. As soon as that's over, he starts his assignment. Right then and right there. Is that not what he just did? Assignment began. Immediately. How would he know what to do unless God told him what to do? That's exactly what happened. All right, Maybe you tra- are you tracking with me? All right, I'm going to try to illuminate this to you a little bit more. If you're, if you're not tracking with me, do better. I'm just kidding. I just love, don't you love that? I, I mean, it's sarcastic, it's mean, but like this, the thought of it, like when somebody says, do better, I just think that's funny. I think it's funny. I don't mean it. Or maybe I do. Luke 18, 9 through 14. We're going to read this parable of Jesus. It's going to illuminate, hopefully, this a little bit more to you. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Are you awake? Verse 10, two men went up at the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, thus, God, I thank you, I am not like other men. Oh, wow. Hold on. Go back. What? Verse 11. It skipped or something, Josh. There you go, there we go. I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Verse 12. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one Who humbles himself will be exalted. In this parable, we see two men. We see a Pharisee, we see a tax collector. Both are in God's house. We'll just, it's not the same thing, but like a modern day equivalent to church. That's where these guys are at. But they're there and they have two very different attitudes, two very different postures. And I would argue, and I, I mean more than argue this is just like Saul when Saul started his journey to Damascus he was just like this Pharisee was but when he got to Damascus he started becoming like the tax collector let me show you what I mean what's the, what's the Pharisee's posture he's in the church what's his posture what's his attitude What's his approach to the presence of God? The Bible says he was standing by himself. He was standing by himself because no one deserved to stand by him. Because he didn't think that anyone was worthy to rub shoulders with him. What does prayer say? What does prayer say? I don't even really think you can call it a prayer. I think it was more of a prayer to himself. But it was very egocentric, self-centered. Self-centered. He's saying, look at how bad everyone else is. And then he's like, you see that tax collector that's standing over there by himself? Aren't you glad that I'm not like him? Self-centered, arrogant, prideful, self-sufficient man. Then what does he say? He says, I'm glad I'm not like them. And then he says, look at what I can do. Look at how awesome I am. I pray all the time. Well, he didn't say that. I'm sorry. I fast twice a week, and I pay my tithes in full. Just like Saul. But what was the posture of the tax collector? Are you tracking with me? What was the posture? What does it say? He was standing far off. He didn't even feel like he was worthy to be there. It says he wouldn't lift his eyes to heaven. Posture. He beat his breast. He beat his chest. It's a sign of sorrow. It's a sign of contrition, deep sorrow, deep contrition. And what does he do? He acknowledges and he understands who he is. He knows how unrighteous he's been. And he understands and acknowledges how much he needed. He needed God. He got it. He understood it. He understood how much he needed God's mercy and grace. He understood and acknowledged how bad his past was and how dirty he was compared to a holy God. That's what happened. And when I see this parable and I see the story of Saul's life, I see a comparison. I see a parallel. Because when Saul got to Damascus... And he's there for three days. And then for the rest of his life, it, beca- this, it began a total transformation, a total change of posture from Saul, where he went from an arrogant Pharisee, and the longer his life went from that moment forward, he took on more and more of a posture of humility, more and more of a posture of understanding just how small and insignificant, just how dirty he was compared to a holy God, just how bad sin is that's what happened to Saul total posture change you're like what does this have to do with me that's what we're getting to we're about to wrap it up right now what does, it, what does this have to do with you being able to hear God's will for your life in Acts chapter 9 what do we see See a lot, but the first thing I'll say if you want to hear God's voice, you need to get into his presence. If you want to hear God's voice, you need to get into his presence. What happened? God spoke to Saul for those three days. His presence, his voice was visiting him for three days. It visited him on the road. And then Ananias arrives, and what happens? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's in the presence of God, and that's where God speaks his plans over his life. The second thing is this. When you enter God's presence, enter his presence with a posture of humble confidence. When you enter God's presence, enter with a posture of humble confidence. When we go into God's presence, we need to enter with a posture of humility. What does that mean? Just like the the tax collector. We need to remember, we need to understand who we are compared to Him. We need to know who we used to be before Christ entered the picture. We need to remember and acknowledge who we are without Him. We need to remember and know just how unholy you are compared to a holy God. We need a deep understanding when we enter God's presence of just how much we need Him. But what I said, I said said humble confidence. Those two things seem like parallels. They seem like polar opposites. But this kind of confidence we're talking about, it's not pride. It's not arrogance. You see, we get to enter into God's presence with humble confidence, but we don't need to be confident in ourselves. We're not confident in our own ability. We're confident in what Christ did for us and what that means for us, that because of Christ Jesus, even though we were dirty, we've been washed clean. Even though we used to be in wrong wrong standing with God, now we're in right standing. Even though there used to be hostility between us and God because of our sin and what we did, that hostility no longer remains because of what Christ did. You see, our confidence to enter God's presence doesn't come from our lofty ideas of ourselves or from our works. It comes from what Christ did for us, in us, and what he's doing through us. That's where it comes. So if you want to hear God's voice, hold on. Let me read a couple of verses just to add to this a little bit. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we were. We are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews ten nineteen 19-22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter... The holy place is by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. The big idea. To... Reiterate it the thing we've got to get across the the word I kept hearing over and over, and I didn't fully understand the word I've heard all week was just posture. Posture, and you say, Okay, you haven't really told me yet how to understand if it's God's voice, the enemy's. We're going to get there, but we have to start here. We have to start with posture because I think it would be if we were to be really honest with ourselves, how many times have we? We got in God's presence and, and we, we talked the whole time. Or When we prayed, we prayed all about us. Like, how many times have we done that? And you're like, why, why do I not know God's plan for my life? I think maybe your problem is posture. Maybe your problem is posture. Maybe you're not humble enough. Maybe you need to change your posture. Maybe you need to change your approach when you get into God's presence. And the truth of the matter is, Even though you're in the house of God, and even though you're in the presence of God, you could still be just like the Pharisee. Just because you're in his presence doesn't mean your posture's right. And if your posture's not right, then what, what good is that? So to wrap it up, to wrap it up, I'll just reiterate and say it again. If you want to hear God's voice, if you want to hear his plan for your life, you need to continually be getting in his presence with a posture of humble confidence. And that's how you get yourself in a position to hear God's will for your life. Did you hear what I said? That's how you position yourself to hear from him. You, you say, I, I've never heard God tell me what his will is for my life what his plans are for me. This is what I believe, and we'll get into this more next week, but I'll just give you a little bit of a preview. I believe this. I believe God's always speaking. And if you're not hearing, it's because you're not positioned correctly. Did you hear what I said? You say, God's not been speaking. He's not told me. I would dare to say, he's speaking. You're just not positioned in a way to hear it. So don't blame God for not telling you his plan. What position are you in? What posture do you have? And are you getting into God's presence? And when you come, do you come with humble confidence. When God knocked Saul off that horse, off his high horse. His posture changed. And that's what prepared him for the plan. And that's what God is looking for out of his kids. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you for tuning in. God bless.